All right, so before we uh, open up for some discussion, just like to bring you up to date on the, um, on the story of uh, silence of the novel. I know you've been desperately wanting to know what happened to Father Rodriguez, who was um, <coughs> arrested. And uh, he wasn't actually uh, tortured, but the way they broke him was through a combination of, well, a kind of a terrible emotional blackmail because they were, they were torturing the Japanese Christians um, in order to persuade him to apostatize, to reject... Well, but it was a combination of that and reason because they said, you know, we don't want you to change your beliefs. We just want you to go through this formal uh, ritual because that will um, disempower the, uh, the uh, force of Christianity and the missionaries in Japan. And their argument was, in that sense, quite reasonable. They said, we don't hate your religion. We don't argue about it. We're simply saying it doesn't suit us. It's not right for Japan. And um, anyway, Father Rodriguez uh, resisted and held to his sort of in, his fierce uh, integrity or stubbornness or his heroism and refusing to apostatize. And then they brought in this uh, older Jesuit who had been his earlier teacher, and who, whom he had come to Japan to find out about, to see whether he had actually apostatized. And he found that actually he had. He was alive and well, and had apostatized, and had been forced to do so in the same way that, that he was being persuaded, by having to watch the... Japanese Christians, who had already apostatized themselves, but to see them being tortured and killed. And eventually, Father uh, Ferreira had given in uh, because, again, of the silence of God, this particular attitude about the silence of God. That he said, you know, where was God when these poor, innocent Ex or Christian Japanese were being uh, tortured and killed. So he had been forced to um, not, not only to apostatize, but actually to change his way of believing. And uh, so then he comes into the picture and he finally persuades his younger former student, Father. Rodriguez to, uh, to apostatize as well. And it's a very simple thing. All he has to do is put his foot on a picture of Christ. He doesn't have to do anything worse than that. Just put his foot on the Christ and that's it. So that's the, uh, so he apostatizes. And uh, then there's a kind of after word to the, to the story. And it, it shows that 
at least for Father Rodriguez, that um, he didn't cease to believe in Christ, but he now believed in a very different way. And he doesn't go into much detail about what that new way of belief or new way of being Christian meant. But um, clearly, an old way of believing had died in tremendous suffering and conflict and anguish. It had died. But something had uh, survived. And as I say, although it doesn't go into detail about what that means, I think it, it highlights something that happens in our own culture and in our own personal lives, perhaps. Those of us who were baptized as, at a young, you know, as, as children, brought up in the church for a while. It's quite rare now, but most of us here probably were. And uh, most of the students you meet today, when they speak about their religious background, will say, I was brought up as a Christian. Uh, so it's, it's always put in the past tense like that. Or always referred to as a kind of a conditioning or a training or a cultural thing rather than a, uh, a continuous experience of growth in faith. So I think it's, uh, th there's something here for us to reflect on in the light of silence, because as I said, it seems to me that the silence of God in the book is not the silence of God as we would understand it in the contemplative tradition, in the mystical tradition. Uh, it was seen as a silence of God that expresses God's either non-existence or God's uh, cruel absence from human need and suffering. So it's a, it's a very anthropomorphic kind of silence. This is the kind of silence of somebody who either refuses to engage with you or is not telling you what they really think or it's an anthropomorphic Silence, and therefore it is deathly and uh, destructive. But the silence that we've been talking about and the silence that we read and encounter in the, in the mystical contemplative tradition is a very different kind of silence, the one in which the fullness of communication and the fullness of presence, the fullness of being, can burst through the forms and sounds and sights of uh, existence. So it's the being behind existence. So I think uh, the Gospels themselves point to this, of course, in the way they tell the story of Jesus' life and teaching and his death. And the earliest forms of the Gospel apparently did not contain, like the Gospel of Mark, for example. Uh, if you read it now, you'll see there are three resurrection appearances. 
But the original gospel of Mark, the earliest gospel, didn't have any resurrection appearances. Why not? The book would not have been written. They wouldn't have, they wouldn't have been worth telling the story 40, 50, or 80 years after Jesus had, had lived and died, uh, unless there had been an experience, an experience of resurrection, unless they had felt that he was present. But how do you describe the resurrection? Even the many or several uh, resurrection appearances in the Gospels don't show the resurrection as a particular event, a sort of, you know, explosion or um, a particular event. Jesus suddenly waking up, jumping up, and r running around. So, uh, but but there is very clearly a, a transformative experience at work being described. And perhaps the best way we can tune into this rather subtle, very subtle, spiritual communication is how we experience things ourselves. How do we experience meditation? When we first sit to meditate, we want something to happen. We want to have an experience. And if we are lucky, uh, we, and we get an experience, or unlucky, and we get an experience. Um, it may be unlucky because we then spend the next 10 years trying to repeat it. Uh, if we get this kind of particular experience, we of course know that it doesn't, isn't, isn't repeated every time we meditate. And there are some meditations, like the weather, sometimes hot, sometimes cool, uh, sometimes drizzly. So that's one level or one kind of experience that we learn not to focus on. It's a more dualistic kind of experience where we would say a good meditation or a bad meditation. But at the same time, even if we don't repeat this experience, we uh, continue meditating. Because an experience or experience is showing us that meditation is contributing directly and powerfully to a new way of living to a transformation of ourselves. And that's perhaps is the best way of describing the resurrection as well. The resurrection is not just a dualistic experience that happened at one minute past 12 on uh, Easter Sunday morning, but uh, it is an experience entered into through faith or understood through faith. Faith is about commitment, remember, and relationship, not about belief, primarily. Uh, but this experience of the resurrection sends us back, or sends the early 
disciples back to live this life in a new way. So they're not going around in some kind of uh, astral body or astral state. They're living a very incarnate life, a real life with ups and downs and conflicts in the early church and some of them end up uh, being martyred and some of them don't. So they end up living this life in a new way. That's the experience of the resurrection, and that's the experience of meditation for us. If we keep on wanting to get an experience of transformation, an experience of enlightenment, an experience of seeing Christ visually or emotionally and so on, then we, we are actually slowing down the process of the real experience. So I think um, silence is the key to understanding this. Silence is not broken when words or images or thoughts are truthful. When they're spoken in truth and therefore when they are compassionate or other-centered. Remember what Diadicus said about speaking about these things. Uh, when we use words or thoughts or images, we aren't necessarily breaking the silence. Silence is broken when the dualistic, noisy mind assumes control of our way of paying attention. When that way of being takes over. It's attention, the kind of attention we give to a person, to the world, to ourselves, the kind of attention we give creates the kind of world and, and relationships that we live in. It's the kind of attention we give. When anyone is united to Christ, there is a new creation, St. Paul says. And I think this is expressed in the resurrection appearances over time, just as it is expressed in our experience of meditation over time. Now, if you bring together your experience of meditation over time and your faith relationship to Christ, which is, of course, like any relationship, continually growing, changing, then you have something that we could call Christian identity. The resurrection is the culmination of a process of living. It culminates that process culminates, or seems to culminate, in the death of the ego and the dualistic mind, after which the person we thought we were, or the person by whose bed we are sitting, ceases to be there. We know them 
or ourselves no longer in the same way, no longer after the manner of the flesh, no longer with the dualistic mind. So this dualistic mind, or the ego, dies, just as the biological body goes through a process that we call death. And there is a, an experience of nothingness. The person is not there anymore. The physical body is there for a while, but then that's taken away as well. There is nothing to cling to. And this is the anguish that Mary of Magdala feels when she comes to the tomb on early on Sunday morning. She's only coming out of love, but love of Jesus who is no longer there. And then you remember what happens. She comes to the tomb and even the body has gone. So she's very devastated. And then she turns around and she sees Jesus. But she doesn't recognize him. She thinks he is the gardener. <coughs> and she says, Jesus says to her, what are you looking for? And she says, if you have taken him away, the body away, tell me where you have put him. And then another turning takes place in the story. They turn and, and Jesus says to her, Mary. And at that instant, her eyes are open, she recognizes him, and she says, Rabuni, teacher, master. Jesus had also asked her, why are you weeping? Question of compassion, like in the Grail story. The turning point in the Grail story um, is the, the redemptive question that changes everything is, how are you? How are you feeling? So, so this strange story clearly isn't meant to be taken literally, but it conveys a deep truth, as no literal story could. Probably if you were to put this experience of Mary in the resurrection, it would be a very long novel. Because it would probably, you don't know how many years it might, have, it might have transpired over. So the important point of the story, though, is to give us a subtle and economical insight into the kind of experience into which we enter in faith, in relationship, that is, to Jesus and in our own inner journey that we make in meditation. What happens then after the death of the ego and the dualistic mind is there is the empty tomb. All the Gospels speak about the empty tomb. 
emptiness, nothingness, and nothing to cling to. But then, the resurrection is the resurgence out of this nothingness, the resurgence of consciousness in a fully integrated and new way of being, God-centered, unified. And the point of this, this uh, culmination of the story in the resurrection is not only to tell us what happened to Jesus, but to what happens to us, and what is happening to us, and what, what is the long-term process that we are on, the journey we are on. Meditation, this is the mysterious thing, meditation allows us to remain open and to give the kind of attention, the kind of mind, kind of awareness, necessary to see this whole process. That's why it's so important that we learn this and keep learning it from a young age today, because this side of ourselves, this kind of attention, this contemplative mind, if you like, is being shut down noisily at, uh, earlier and earlier. So the, the resurrection and meditation in John Main's teaching, because he's teaching in Christian faith, that means in his sense of relationship to, to Jesus and the, and the gospel transmission. So meditation and resurrection are intimately connected. That's why John Main says, every time we meditate, we enter into the death and resurrection of Jesus. <laughs>